Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast, a program for accountants and bookkeepers who seek to scale new heights in their practices and guide their clients to scale new heights in their businesses. My name is Joe Woodard, and I'm joined today by Tina Dillard Duncan, payroll and HR product advisor at Aprio Cloud, one of the leading and most modern and automated bookkeeping practices in the world. I'm also joined by Moses Balian, who's a nationally recognized HR and payroll compliance expert. Today, we're gonna to be talking about payroll compliance in the tumultuous waters of the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. So let's get right to it. Tina, Moses, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you for thank you for inviting us to do this. Thanks so much, Joe. Thrilled to be here. Well, I'm very excited about this conversation. Payroll has always been complicated and managing employees has always been a quagmire, but how much more so in the environment where we currently find ourselves that includes CARES Act compliance, includes increased HIPAA and healthcare related issues, work from home situations. So this is such an important conversation to have. And, and I want to start with you, Tina. You're the practitioner here with us today. You live in this world every day. At Aprio Cloud, you're supporting numerous clients with very complex HR and payroll needs. You're on the bleeding edge of this stuff. Um, and, and I want to detail out some of the reasons why it's so important for consultants to, to lean into intentional and proactive payroll management, not just get the form filed, but proactive and intentional management of employees. So I understand from your work at Aprio Cloud, you guys have seen some some increased capacity by the way you're managing payroll. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Um, one of the ways that we, you know, we, we think of ourselves as you know, technical and advisory you know, firms. So we we try to find ways, obviously, to do more with less. Um, and what we have typically done is we find software capacity, you know, to, to move payroll to. Um, you know, we don't want our accountants and our advisors processing payroll. You know, we want them to be advisors. So we want that, you know, we want to find the best software and the best, you know, technical options out there for them to be able to do that. And, and what kind of software solutions do you typically use? I mean, obviously, we all know that there's payroll products that are attached to or baked into the different general ledger solutions people use. But um, are you relying solely on those? And if not, what are you finding is most valuable and, and for which kind of client? And we use a variety of sources, actually. Um, it kind of depends on the client. You know, we do have fact-finding missions that we sit down with our clients and try to figure out what the best product is for them. You know, we, we typically try to lean away from the do-it-yourself softwares where they're getting no support. Um, because as you said, you know, payroll is complex, even more complex now with the CARES Act and all the changes. So we typically lean towards things that give them more of, you know, HR consulting, more payroll consulting, so that they can do their job and build their business instead of processing payroll. Well, yes, and and you made a good point there is is there's a certain focus, certain energy that's burned on this and and those elements that are compliance oriented. I mean, it's extremely important, but it doesn't advance the business forward. You know, compliance is an important survival mechanism for business, 
but not a business development tool. So what where, where are you finding is the client's tolerance of investment in something that they would consider to be overhead, like a necessary evil? And after you answer that, are you finding that your methodology gives frees up some of their budget to focus on other things? You know, most of our clients don't want to do payroll. They don't like payroll. It's confusing. It's frustrating. They don't want to chase employees around for hours. They don't want to do all those things. So you know, their tolerance is pretty high to finding a software that does that for them or finding a system or a company that can help them do that. Yep. And are you seeing that the latter is, is, is what you're running into most commonly, that they could deploy a software? They'd rather just say to you, Tina, I don't want the headache. I want to make this your headache and I just want to wash my hands of it and not think about it. Yeah. And we're finding that a lot more now, especially with CARES Act and PPP and trying to track sick hours and leave hours and all those kinds of things. And do you in turn have the same philosophy? Do you have somebody you just like to say, uh, well, I don't want the headache either, so I'm going to kick the can? And if so, how do you kick the can? I mean, it, it, I know you talked about some software solutions, but but it, are there any other strategies? Like, for example, uh, what percentage of your clients might use something like a PEO? And can you explain to the listeners who are unfamiliar with what that is, uh, what PEO is and how it differs? Sure. Um, a lot of our clients do use a PEO. And, and we definitely find ourselves leaning towards PEOs a little bit more for a Why lot of our that? clients. Um, because they, it gives them the, incre the increased capacity and it gives us the ability to free up our capacity as well, where we're actually being advisors. Mm. You, know, you know, one of our big things is, you know, we feel like people are our greatest asset. And if, you know, if we're tracking the KPIs and advising our, our people, then our clients are doing much better business-wise. I mean, they're, they have that increased capacity to be able to build, continue to build their business while we're keeping track of their KPIs. So Moses, you're the PEO expert in the room. As I understand, there are some unique benefits around this model, and I'd like for you to break that down for the accountants and bookkeepers listening in. And I understand too that there are some decreased or shared liability benefits that come from using a PEO, if you could break those down for us as well. So what's really unique about PEOs is this, what's called a co-employment agreement. And so, yeah, you what you brought up is exactly right. All those um, points for the shared liability between what's called the worksite employer and then the PEO, the professional employer organization. And so um, one fear that a lot of our customers have is that they like lose control over their people, control over their business in the course of this relationship. And that's not true at all. Basically, we take everything off your plate that you would, you would want to be taken off and you don't lose any sort of autonomy over a company compensation decisions over how to run your business. Um, probably the, 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 the strangest thing that uh, employees of, of, of organizations that use the PEOC is that their paycheck comes from that PEO, comes from ADP, comes from JustWorks, comes from Trinet. And, and you get uh, employees all the time go, wait, what? I thought I worked for Aprio. And, and, and you do. Um, it just has to do with sort of the tax filing and the other uh, shared liability concerns. But yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's not like anything else. Yeah, and thanks for jumping in on that too, because I was just getting ready to say that one of the concerns that we get a lot from our clients is when we're turning everything over to the PEO, they're like, well, how, is our, how are our employees gonna react to that? Is our employee morale gonna get hit? Because you know, people are thinking, you know, what does it mean to be a least employee? <laughs> totally. They, they fear it's going to be like an acquisition. Like, who are these suits mm -hmm. going to come in and take over? No, no, no. It's a, exactly. nothing like that at all. Yeah. So, so what we're looking then is we're breaking it down. And thank you, Moses, for, for uh, adding some uh, color to that. 
So as we're breaking this down, I mean, there's the, obviously the do-it-yourself, which I think we would all agree here, and I think most of our listeners would agree, is not a sane 21st century model. Then there is the running across the rails of the processing within the GL, which is slightly less insane, especially in a high compliance environment like we're in now. So really the only options, as, as I'm hearing you say, Tina, that, that are viable are to use a payroll uh, an, some sort of a liability management payroll solution. And that might still be offered by your GL provider, but the processing is managed not by your firm and not by your client, and it's submitted or transmitted to an agency that manages that on your behalf and absorbs the liability involved in it. And then maybe the ultimate form of offloading the burden comes in what you and Moses were describing with the, uh, the PEO model, where technically, legally, it's not even your employee anymore. And that means that there are HR uh, implications of that as well. And I, I don't want to get to that uh, as we continue to drill down on some of the challenges. But before we get to human resources, um, there are a lot of ongoing payroll needs around compliance tracking complexities that have been amplified recently by the work from home situation and the COVID crisis. So they're pervasive. We could have done this podcast last year or next year, but as we're sitting here doing this podcast in the summer of 2020, they are acute. So let's drill down on a few of those and let's see what Tina's been seeing out there since she lives on the front line of this issue. Um, and I want to start with multi-state. Uh, have you seen an increase in multi-state compliance needs? And if so, how is COVID contributing to that? Yes, we have definitely seen an increase in the multi-state requirements. You know, COVID has, one, you know, one of the things that people didn't think about, you know, when everybody started working at home is, you know, some of our companies do have employees that don't, that don't live in the same state. So, you know, when they've been going to work, they're working in that state, their work address is the same as the company address, everything's great and they only need that one state registration. But all of a sudden this employee goes home to work and now guess what? You know, we have a second state involved. You know, we have second state registrations. You know, it could potentially even get into issues with sales tax and creating nexus in another state for our, for our clients. So, you know, one of the things that we always try to tell our clients up front is, you know, the payroll taxes and everything are based on where the work is done not where your work office is. So if somebody is sitting in Indiana and your company is in California, you still need the registration in Indiana and you need to pay all the payroll taxes in Indiana. So that part of it gets very confusing, not to mention the fact if you don't do it, then all of a sudden, you know, somebody figures out that you've got that employee in Indiana and you end up with a whole bunch of tax notices. And, and you raise a really good point about uh, Nexus, too. So, Moses, I know you're an expert on multi-state payroll in leased employee or PEO environments. Is there any relief for someone in a PEO situation? In other words, if, if, if I'm employing someone in Indiana, but they're not really my employee because they're, they're, they're the PEO's employee, does that protect me from Nexus in that state, or am I still operating in that state? Well, what's... 
really interesting about a PEO is any established PEO will already have employees or Nexus and an unemployment insurance account in all of the states, in all the states. And so when you hire an employee in Indiana, that might be your first employee there, but it is not even close to your PEO's first employee there. And so we know how to run payroll taxes. We know everything that you need to get set up. Um, about half of states um, the unemployment insurance account is owned by the PEO and about the other half, it has to be owned by the customer. It's just a strange state by state thing. Um, and you know, the, the PEO can advise as to which that is. It, it might be as easy as um, simply clicking a button, changing the work location um, to Indiana and hiring someone there. So uh, it's like, we've, we've, we've been there before. We know the payroll and tax landscape as well as the employment regulation landscape. And so like I know earlier in my career, I used to run payroll using um, a, a mere payroll service. And I got to say, I learned a lot. And that's because I had to. <laughs> I had to self-teach all of these different HR um, complexities. And, and while I was doing this, New York City, for example, passed their paid sick leave law. No one told me about this. I was luckily just all over the SHRM and HR blogs and found out about this as far as um, you know, providing employees their statutory paid sick leave. And so that's a great example where as part of a PEO, if you were to hire somebody in California and the, the, the nation of California, as we call it in HR, because of all the employment regulations there, um, being part of a big company that already knows how that employment landscape works can let you know the compliance um, pitfalls as well as all of the payroll regulations. Let's talk a little bit more then about the CARES Act because multi-state payroll is sort of an outcome, a domino fall effect of what's happening with shelter in place. But the CARES Act itself is a compliance standard. There's, and there's PPP, there's also a 941 compliance worksheet one what is APRIO doing, Tina, um, to manage this wave of new compliance? And more importantly, how are you structuring the economics? Because already businesses are getting hit hard with COVID and you have to give them the bad news that they have an increased cost in you. And, and if so, how are you managing that? You know, it's kind of three different things. You know, we, we help them with the PPP loan funds. We give them guidance and planning. And, you know, so they get the loan quickly and we give them all the correct information the first time. Because I can tell you some of our clients that did go it alone, were really glad to come back to us to get help. <laughs> there were a lot of boxes to check. I'll tell <laughs> there you were that. a lot of boxes. And the other thing too is, you know, initially they ran out of funds. <laughs> so some of our clients that were a little slower to get started didn't get the money initially. I mean, they got it on the second round after we got involved and helped them. But, you know, they were frustrated because it took them so long to fill out the information that... And that second round wasn't guaranteed. I remember there, were a lot, there was a lot of nail biting going on. There <laughs> Is was. Is the second there round going to happen and how fast? And so they kind of got lucky that a second round came out so quickly. Mm -hmm. And then they got even luckier that, you know, Aprio actually cared. We, you know, we right. care a lot about our clients. You know, we wanted what was right for our clients. And, but obviously, you know, as a business, you know, and structuring the economics was pretty important too. We don't want to cripple our clients by helping them with the PPP. So we did come up with package pricing for our clients and it made sense, you know, for a lot of them, the economics just made complete sense. You know, by the time you look at, you know, your increased capacity to go continue to try to build your business and find other avenues to increase profitability during this time, 
you know, you're spending that time doing that as a business owner instead of spending time checking boxes on a form that you don't really understand to begin with. Right. And depending on the strategy they choose, because there's multiple ways you could calculate your PPP, you, you might have actually increased the amount of their borrowing power, which increased their cash flow. And then that justifies uh, new, new professional costs as well. So, you know, it, it sounds like in, in a strange way, you know, kind of very creative way, um, Aprio turned compliance into value pricing. And if, if, you know, and I know we're kind of on the backside of that now, it would have been nice to, to get that advice uh, for, if I had invited you into a podcast maybe back in March. But, um, but, you know, if there is a second wave of PPP and there's talk about that, this is some advice that the bookkeepers, tax preparers, and CPAs listening in could really, really use. But I, the biggest takeaway I'm getting from this, Tina, is you are charging for the service. And this is the tragedy I'm seeing with so many, especially the sole practitioner, bookkeepers, and tax preparers, they're really good friends with their clients and they feel close to them and they feel sorry for them and they're thinking this is just a crisis we all endure together. And all those things are true. Those are realities. But there's also an economic reality to the fact that you have to pay your bills as well. And um, and I'm sure if one of their friends walks into their restaurant, the client's restaurant, they're going to charge for the food. And one of their friends walks in to the store, they're going to charge for the, the, the toilet paper, especially Back in April, they would have charged for that toilet paper. So, you know, you have to charge for your services too, and, and the client should respect that. Um, and thanks for challenging the listeners to charge for this compliance. Much PPP forgiveness compliance still has to be done. I want to move to human resources because that also has increased challenges related to the COVID-19 crisis. What are you seeing out there with leaves of absences, hiring and firing, how are folks dealing with additional HR strain? You know, I think it's been difficult because, you know, hiring and firing is difficult enough in just a regular, you know, environment without all the COVID complications. You know, it's critical to keep the lines of communication open and flowing. You know, we have to keep all this virtual transition stuff going. You know, your employees still have to feel like they're part of the group. You know, so we've definitely been working with our clients to understand you know, how to get that critical communication moving a little bit better, you know, because a lot of companies were used to, they could gather in somebody's office. You know, now we gather on some, you know, some companies use Microsoft Teams, some companies use Zoom, some use Slack, you know, so now it's kind of, you're not seeing everybody on a regular basis, which again, you know, Zoom and allows you to at least see people, you know, you're not able to reach out and touch, but you can reach out and touch virtually. So, you know, it's been really interesting for our, a lot of our clients who didn't believe that employees should work at home. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's an unknown. It's an unknown quantity. And, uh, and, and as an employer of people that ha- I had virtual employees in multiple states prior to COVID, and then I had a hundred, I still have a virtual office to, to this moment where we're still taking it as an abundance of cautious, we're, caution. We're not uh, getting back together in our office yet. So what I found is it's a mixed bag. Uh, I had people level their productions. I had people increase their productions. And I decided to just let them stay at home because why, why would I bring them back to the office if they're higher performing at home? And then I had people who couldn't make the adjustment. That just wasn't a good work environment for them for whatever reason. And they would be the first people that would probably be a path to the door whenever we open the office back up so they can get productive again. The point is we finally have learnings about this, but, but, they're, but they're, 
there is a, a, a bit of a moving target on compliance with the situation we're in right now. One, one of the bills that's in Congress, don't know if it's going to pass or not, provides protections to employers um, if their employee gets COVID and the tracing goes back to they got it somewhere in a work-related environment. Don't know if it'll pass or not, but that's just one example off the top of my head. So Moses, you're the PEO expert. How do PEOs solve for this? Do 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 PEOs worth their salt have research arms? And if so, how often are the standards around HR compliance infused throughout that PEO's processes? Sure. Yeah. Great question, Joe. So if I can give just a brief history of PEOs, sort of the bedrock of the business model is actually all about benefits. It's access to, you pull everyone together, it's sort of like a food co-op. So if a small business goes out and gets health insurance quotes, they're going to be relatively high, especially depending on the population. Um, so it's this, these economies of scale, right? And so back when the PEO model first began, that's what it was all about. And as these firms have grown and matured, they've, come in, they've turned into HR and compliance partners, which would be a natural expectation of its customers. And so, yes, like, for example, I'm an HR consultant at JustWorks, and my team's whole job is to advise our customers on both strategic and transactional HR initiatives and also stay fully on top of the compliance landscape. And so just a, an example, um, as of this year, there was a huge change in the federal overtime regulations as far as the minimum salary threshold that someone had to earn in order to become exempt from overtime went up from 23000 a year to $35,568 a year. And this is something that unless you were an HR-minded person keeping tabs on the employment regulation landscape, you wouldn't necessarily know about this. And so this is why your PEO sort of serves as a brain trust. Um, I mean, even with a full-time HR headcount at your organization, there are still some things you might miss because there are all sort of different aspects of HR. Somebody might be a people and talent person, but not so much into the or familiar with the federal and state and local employment regulation compliance aspect. And so that's where your PEO is such a valuable partner and it even can complement your internal HR org too. Very well put. Thank you. And I want to speak testimonially here and say that, um, you know, we're, we're not a huge employer. Um, we have a couple dozen employees, but I employ in eight states. And I have chosen to adopt that kind of multi-state compliance and HR compliance, because you mentioned that it varies from state to state, and it does. I, I, I've chosen to adopt that headache because I find that, that going to where the best talent is, is a net gain for the company. But what you're saying, what I hear Tina saying with, with, with Aprio's use of PEO, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can go to wherever the talent is. And yes, of course, there's always some additional costs and nexus issues. But the point is the headache of compliance. You don't have to necessarily carry the full burden or even the majority of the burden of that while you're able to resource pool throughout the United States. So we've talked then a lot about PEO and Aprio is one of the leading bookkeeping and client accounting service firms, one of the most modern and well-built ones in the country. So begs the question, Tina, who are you using out there? Who has who Aprio chosen? And our PEO provider of choice is JustWorks. And why did you choose JustWorks? you know, we're a company all about transition. As you just said, you know, we're one of the leaders. We're always looking for the, you know, the next, what's next, you know, Aprio's model is always what's next. 
And one of the things that we find with JustWorks is we really never have to ask them where we are, what's going on, what's happening with our clients, because, you know, they've always been just this really great company with transition. You know, we, we bring them clients that are coming from other payroll providers. We might even bring them somebody brand new from out of the country. This is their first experience in the U.S. And we've yet to hear from any of our clients that their transition was slow or they didn't understand or it wasn't clear, which, you know, speaks volumes to them because like I said, our clients are from all over, you know, they're from all over the States. They're from all over you know, different countries coming in. They are, they come in from, with all different levels of experience with payroll. You know, we do have some that are on their payroll system that had lots of years of experience and found out they just didn't like doing it and wanted somebody else to do it. And then we have those that are just starting off and don't want to do it because they don't understand it and they're scared of it. <laughs> so they've leveled it off. But, you know, we've, we've chosen JustWorks because, you know, the transition process for us is one of the most important things with our clients. You know, when we give you one of our clients, we want you to treat them like we would treat them. And we find that JustWorks does that. Well, that's a, that's a fantastic reason. So I'm going to, I'm going to close out with one more, uh, I think very pertinent question for you, Tina. Um, and it's going to be not so much about how you manage your clients as what you've seen in your own practice over at Aprio Cloud with all of your peers, colleagues, and the people to whom you report, the people who report to you. Like everybody else, it's a virtual world. And I understand your culture, like mine, was quasi-virtual before the shelter in place and before the crisis. So how does Aprio Cloud maintain culture and accountability team camaraderie and energy when you're just not in a building together? We, you know, we have the motto of keeping things fun. You know, we've, we've done Hollywood squares. We've done, <laughs> we've done Jeopardy. You know, we do these, we do lunch and learns. We do coffee, coffee club meetings where we get together with other team members to talk to them. You know, we try to kind of, we try to switch it up a lot. We try to meet other people in other teams at Aprio so that we keep abreast of what's going on all over the organization. And do you use a collaboration tool? I mean, I mean, I know a lot of people are using video conferencing solutions. We use a combination of Zoom and Microsoft Teams, which is the Skype architecture. But are you guys using something to chat with each other and stay collaborative throughout the day? Um, we do Slack. You know, when I, I'm looking at it right now and just in, in this short conversation, I've got 26 Slacks to answer. Which some people might think that's a big distraction and it's a negative, but you know what I found is that we use Microsoft Teams, but it's the same kind of concept. I find you perpetually meet so you can then meet less. So I spend less time in Zoom meetings because I am perpetually chatting with folks throughout the day. Um, and you know, you were funny, you mentioned the coffee times. We have a, a water cooler team and anything goes in there. Uh, you can do what talk about whatever you want to. Of course, if it's HR compliant, right? But one is back to the theme of the the podcast. But but uh, you can talk about anything you want to in there, and that's one of my favorite things to do over a cup of coffee is um, is sort of read what's going on in people's lives with their kids and their hobbies, their vacation they went on, and that's still actually happening some, especially hikes and things. So, folks, we've had an amazing conversation, and I wanted to end on that sort of high and light note because. At the end of the day, the conversation we've had with Tina and Moses is not a conversation about compliance, and it is not a conversation about legalities, and it is not a conversation about benefits and benefits paperwork. It is a people conversation. And so, so take 
take those companies that have built amazing team culture and camaraderie and have sustained it through the COVID crisis and let those folks inspire you. People first, culture first, and then make sure people are safe. They live in an environment where they are well compensated, covered with benefits and insurance, and are free and liberated to add value to you and to your customers. Tina, Moses, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having us. It's been an awesome experience. Thanks, Joe. Such a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast and our conversation with Moses and Tina. We have some powerful resources that complement today's episode, and you can get to those at ordered.com slash podcast, including a guide to stay compliant with taxes and employment laws, as well as a breakdown of the benefits of PEO, especially in this time of work from home. Now you can learn more about this episode and get all of those resources at woodard.com slash podcast. And if you want to learn about our annual conference or all of the other resources that we have available to empower you to transform small business, you can find them all at woodard.com.